Welcome to episode 10 of our Chapel podcast series, Fruit of the Spirit. This week's fruit is self-control, brought to you by Trinity College Queensland, presented by Reverend Nigel Rogers. Well, a couple of little confessions to begin with. I'm a little bit happy sad this morning. Enough said. Simon, it's been awesome to work with you, but I'm not going to keep going because you know, I might tear up. Genuinely. Um, but happy, excited to be able to preach at chapel. It's been a while. The other confession is this, that I really struggled to start writing this sermon. Let me just share with you what was going on. Here's what happened the first evening that I sat down to make a start on it. This is how it played out. I got everything ready on my desk, and I thought, I'm just going to settle myself in God's presence and pray, because that's what you do. Just to settle down, and I was still before the Lord, and this little thought popped into my head. This sweet little impulse. Now would be a really good time to start watching Ted last <laughs> I gave in to the impulse. I'm, I'm being honest with you this morning. I gave in to the impulse. I was five minutes into the first episode, and I thought, you know what would go really well with this? A cup of coffee. While I was making my coffee, I thought, I need a chocolate. We had a box of unopened favourites, one of the big numbers in the pantry. I thought I'll have one. I took the whole box with me back into the study. By the time I finished the first episode, the impulse to watch the second one was obviously pretty strong and my you know, capacity to resist that impulse was very low. I was buzzing on the chocolate. I looked at the box and seriously, it was about half empty, so I thought... It's not going to make any difference if I finish the other half. <laughs> now, it was, it was by the time I was halfway through the third episode that the irony really started to kick in, <laughs> right? Here I was, completely abandoned to the impulse of watching Ted Lasso, drinking coffee and eating chocolate, when I should have been writing a sermon on self-control, right? I thought, well, it's going to make for a great opening illustration to this sermon, so, you know, job done. <laughs> if this was more than procrastination, right? This was, I was out of control, spiralling toward a sugar coma and an all-night binge session of some quality TV. It took a great deal, honestly, it took a great deal of self-control at the end of the third episode to stop the impulse to go for just one more episode. <laughs> Fortunately, seriously, fortunately, this out-of-control whirlwind had only started at 7.30 and it was now sort of 9.15 and I thought, it's not that bad. I'll just get out of my Ted Lasso stupor and go to bed, which is what I did. But what we have here is a classic example of the common way that self-control is understood. Namely, that self-control is the capacity to control our thoughts or our feelings and desires when temptations and impulses arise. Now, in this example that I shared, it's pretty obvious that my capacity to control the impulse that arose was pretty low. This understanding of self-control has been around for a long time, with Plato, for instance, declaring that in the pursuit of the good life, the first and greatest victory is to conquer self. Now, as we think about our text for today, I would suggest that the type of self-control that Paul is speaking about in his conversation with Felix is a more developed understanding that builds on a person's capacity to control their head 
and their heart when temptation and impulse emerges. The Greek word used for self-control in the text for today and in reference to self-control as a fruit of the Spirit is enkriteia. While this word was used by Plato to unpack self-control in a different way to Socrates, Aristotle uses it to advance Plato's thinking, and I want to suggest that Paul's actually using it to advance Aristotle's thinking a little bit further. To this end, the way in which we can understand self-control in the text that we're looking at today and the way in which we can understand it as a fruit of the Spirit is as follows. Self-control starts with what people hold as the truth about the good life. And then temptations and impulses will come against the abundant life that a person is seeking. So that self-control then is the inhibiting of these impulses and temptations because because of the negative impact they could have on the fullness of life that's being pursued. So the truth that underpins the perception of what makes life good or abundant or full provides the foundation for understanding self-control. The truth about the good life is the basis for why a person controls their thoughts, their feelings and desires in the face of temptation. But... Which truth about the abundance and fullness of life is best, is most valid? Let me suggest that the answer has everything to do with the freedom that truth brings. Now, we've all heard the line that truth will set you free, right? But which truth? The exchange between Paul and Felix provides a brilliant example of the, pro- of the place of truth and freedom in relation to self-control. On the face of it, Paul is the one who is lacking any real freedom, right? Because in this text, he's what? He's a prisoner. On the other hand, Felix is the man with significant authority that gives him enormous freedom. But Felix's truth of the good life is way out of whack. I mean, check out this dude. He is just a a nasty pasty, as the kids used to say back in my day. (laughs) Felix's truth of the good life is grounded in his deeply intrinsic sense of self-advancement and self-interest. There is one person in the world that Felix is interested in, and it is obviously himself. It was reflected in his cruelty, in the choice of his current wife, Drusilla, who was essentially still married to another man, and also in his corrupt practices, which in this text is reflected in his desire to try and bribe Paul for his freedom. However, for all his attempts to advance himself, for all the freedom that his authority gave him, Felix still did not know the genuine truth that leads to freedom. As such, he had very little basis to exercise anything that resembles self-control. And here's the thing, his lack of truth beyond himself had caused him to be the real prisoner in this text. And there's no better reflection of this than in verses 24 to 26, where Paul shared about faith in Christ Jesus with both Felix and Drusilla. Paul proclaims the gospel truth of God's righteousness and judgment, which leads to freedom. He speaks of the work of God to put the world right through Jesus Christ. 
On this point, N.T. Wright suggests that the gospel is all about God putting the world right. He's doing so in Jesus, he's doing so at the end, and he's doing so for individuals in between as both a sign and a means of what is to come. So, where does self-control fit in all of this? Well, clearly self-control is driven by the truth Paul proclaims about God continuing to be at work in this life, putting the world right through Jesus Christ. The first point to make about self-control, then, is that the gospel truth identifies that which tempts and lures people into actions and words that work against God putting the world right. We can picture Paul speaking clearly to Felix, that Felix's actions of cruelty, corruption and adultery are all sorts of wrong, because they directly work against God's mission of putting the world right. Against this truth, it is evidence that Felix has a massive lack of self-control and a skewed perspective of truth and life. So it's little wonder that after listening to Paul, Felix freaks out. The text suggests that he was not just afraid, he was terrified. He had been cut to the very core of his existence, to the very extent where he had to say, Paul, that's enough. Get out of here. I need to get my head in some kind of other space than what you have just hit me with. Having identified the truth of, of God's mission and what can tempt people to work against it, that's, that's one thing that we need to consider with self-control. But the other question is, well... Okay, once we've identified temptation, that's one thing. But how do we resist it? That's the other thing. How do we exercise the capacity to control ourselves in the face of that which tempts us, you and me, to work against God's reconciling work in the world? How do we resist that? Well, put simply, in our own strength, we can't. And Paul knew this all too well. We read in Romans 7, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is through Jesus Christ that people, that you and I are reconciled in relationship with God. It is in this union with God that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Therefore, what we can't do... God does in and through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's good news right there. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to empower followers of Christ to exercise self-control for the benefit, not just of ourselves, but for the benefit and the advancement of God's kingdom. Furthermore, it is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, that continually reveals the nature of the temptations we face and identifies how they could cause us to act in ways that oppose God's work in the world. As believers, we have received the gift of the Holy Spirit within us. 
binding us to God and empowering us to live in the way, the truth and the abundant life that comes through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it makes sense that Paul would be speaking about self-control as a fruit of the Spirit. Because it is not a form of self-mastery or conquering of self that we can generate in our own strength. Furthermore, this contributes to why Paul seems so free, particularly towards the end of Acts. He's just, he's just going for it. And obviously when we get a little, a little bit later at the, you know, chapter 27 and the whole sort of shipwreck and that sort of stuff, you know, when everyone's freaking out, he's not. He's got this freedom within him that even as a prisoner, that freedom is just bubbling up and it's obviously doing something to everyone who comes in contact with him. Now let me finish with an example of the kind of self-control that we've been talking about. Clearly, Paul was not the perfect example of self-control, nor are you and I. Where do we go to try and get a perfect example of the kind of self-control that the Spirit of God produces? The answer is Jesus. We see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, reflecting what self-control looks like. The temptation and impulse to run away from his impending death on the cross is palpable as we read how he fell face down on the ground, crying out, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. We see here the human impulse that any of us would have and any of us would express. Surely, find an alternative. However, the self-control is seen in the resisting of this impulse because a greater mission and calling was before Jesus. It is a supernatural expression of self-control, empowered by the Holy Spirit and reflected in Jesus' declaration that follows, yet not as I will, but as you will. Here we see the way of Jesus in relation to self-control. It provides all of those of us who are apprentices of Jesus with some great insights as to how to exercise self-control. Let me just quickly outline a couple of things. First, we are going to face temptation. Full stop. Temptation seems to often come with a sense of urgency and makes our world very small in that moment. Therefore, what we can learn from Jesus is that following the way of Jesus and praying so as to slow things down and let the big picture truth of God enter into the frame is so important. It deals with the urgency that temptation brings. It deals with the narrowness that temptation creates and helps us just to be able to zoom out, providing we don't get tempted to go and watch Ted Lasso. <laughs> but this is the truth about things that, that start to emerge. We, we start to have the space to be able to just be reminded of who God is, to be reminded of who we are as new creations in Christ, to be reminded of God's love for us and God's work in the world. Thirdly, in, in these types of, of tempting moments, give the Holy Spirit room to reveal how this temptation could impact on God's work in the world through you. What would happen if you gave into this temptation? What's the impact of that on you, on your relationship with God, on other people? 
You know, in the face of the temporary promise of gain or pleasure, we need to ask the Spirit to reveal to us the damage that could be done to ourselves, to others, to God, if we act on the temptation that's before us. The Spirit works in that revealing way to bring some truth to the allure of what we might get if we buy into the temptation. And lastly, ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to live out the words of Jesus. Not my will, but as you will. Resisting temptation through self-control empowers disciples, you and I, disciples of Jesus, to live in the freedom that relationship with God brings. It gives depth of meaning to the truth that if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. And that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Here's a question just to to, to leave you with. Where is an area of your life where you long for freedom but often give in to temptation? Where is an area of your life where you long for freedom but often give into temptation. Next time you face this temptation, and you and I will, remember that the Spirit of God wants to give us the self-control to choose freedom over temptation. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have set us free and that in you we are free indeed. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you dwell within us And because you are alive within us, we have the freedom to be able to live in the fullness and the abundance of the relationship that you have called us into. We praise you and thank you for your grace and ask that in those areas in our lives where we long for freedom, that you might work, that you might calm Holy Spirit and help us to see the way in which you are the one who leads us into a place of overcoming. For your glory and your name's sake. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by Trinity College Queensland. Honest answers to tough questions. Visit trinity.qld.edu.